and was a whole new source of shame for me as I as I now felt like I'd failed not only in the business and failed to my investors and shareholders and employees, but also had failed to my wife at the time and to my two children and, and on and on it went. It, uh, it felt incredibly difficult, like a, a massive concrete block had just descended on my life and was just crushing the, the, the life out of me. I actually went into a, a period of a, a couple of years there where I was quite depressed and and really didn't know you know which way was up and where I was actually going to go from from there having been sort of crushed by this this overwhelming sense of failure that had never I'd never really experienced like that before. Welcome to the shame game. Shame thrives in secrecy but loses all its power when we bring it to light. This show is all about embracing vulnerability and finding connection through our shared experiences of shame. In each episode, we'll talk with a new guest where we'll dive into their stories and experiences and learn how to break free from shame and love ourselves just that little bit more. So sit back, relax, and let's get ready to play the shame game. Hello everybody, this is Eleni and in today's episode of the shame game we are going to be talking about the shame of failure and when we say failure it's all encompassing, it includes business failure, includes personal failure and um, really what we're talking about is the perfect storm and the person who is going to talk about his personal experience is Rob Allen. Rob Allen is our guest today. He's a doctor of psychology. He's a coach, an author and a speaker. He's had an illustrious business career whose company was listed on the Australian Stock Exchange and grew into the ASX top 300. Following the global financial crisis of 2008, Rob's world came crashing down. It was through these experiences that he realised most of his life had been driven by a fear of failure and that he had spent his time running away from feelings of shame and unworthiness. And following all of that, he's come out creating a new company, a new way of life, a new purpose, and we're going to talk about that right at the end. But first, let's welcome Rob Allen. Welcome, Rob. Thanks very much, Eleni. Great to I'm be here. So happy that you are here because with with this story that you're going to be sharing today about um, failure, specifically your business and in your personal life and our perception of failure, we're going to go deep into what that is and people will be able to resonate with, with your story. So let's start before this happened, before this perfect storm happened. Hmm. So what was life like for Rob Allen before the perfect storm? Right, yes. Well, I think my, I mean, my life, looking back in particular, I feel like it was been very, very characterised by a, a very, very driven to, to succeed, uh, very always seemed very, very purposeful in terms of what I was doing and what I was trying to achieve, even though th- those things evolved over time and I, I would chase after different things. Uh, I feel like I you know, very much was driven by this kind of sense of needing to you know, prove that I you know, was, could be successful in whatever I kind of did and whatever I turned my hand to. And by and large, I, I was. So uh, uh, that was um, that was pretty much how how things seemed to be earlier on. 
Okay, and so basically where we were at before everything happened was that you were driven, you were conscientious, you were driven to succeed and you did. Everything worked out exactly the way you had planned and then what happened? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, I don't know. Everything worked out as planned. I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't have a, um, uh, you know, huge dramatic kind of, uh, sob story for, uh, as a childhood, but um, uh, but it was a difficult one. You know, I grew up in a single parent family and and didn't really see my mother very much uh, as she kind of worked two jobs to kind of support my brother and I. And uh, and and so I, I I think that I very very early on in life uh, had to take uh, a greater sense of responsibility than perhaps I I was ready and. And I think that kind of led to to this sort of feeling of of needing to to kind of mm -hmm. have responsibility beyond kind of my you know years, but but yes, it's it, it sort of meant that there was no room, very very little room for for really thinking about other problems outside of the the kind of the family dynamic and and really needing to uh, to focus on just sucking it up and getting on with things. Uh, but, you know, getting back to your question about the, 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 the drive and, and where did it go? I felt like, you know, that there was a, a sort of a sense that yeah, having to, to kind of very much prove what I actually uh, did to, uh, to basically get um, acknowledgement or support was, was a big driver of, of wanting to succeed and to impress and to, to prove my worthiness, and and mm -hmm. so I, I guess the moving forward, I, I really overcompensated in everything that I did. So whether that was academically, or whether it was in business, or the the, the jobs that I, I sort of went for, or ultimately in in what I did in building my, and you know, listing my own company on the stock exchange, I felt very much was sort of driven by this sort of sense to to prove that that I could be you know, uh, successful and or, or the best at whatever I was doing. Yeah. Uh, and so this, this, this need to prove yourself. So that, that comes from um, what you're saying is, and what I'm hearing you say is that it's coming from a childhood where you felt that perhaps you had less than others because you were raised by a single mother who you didn't get to see. Would that be right? Yeah. It's an interesting way to put it. I, uh, I definitely felt like I had less uh, less support, less encouragement, less nurturing. Uh, we we certainly were not uh, very wealthy, so we had a lot of less money and less things. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I think that that was probably a, a big part of it uh, in terms of my my sort of perception relative to my peers. But even within the home environment, um, there was there was probably a lot that. That I, I felt like I, I didn't have either, whether that was circumstantial or, or whatever. Um, but but yeah, that was certainly certainly the. What were the feelings that you had back then, Rob, when you compared yourself to other kids? What were the feelings that you were experiencing at that time? Mm. I think for um, for for most of us as children, you. You, you sort of develop a sense of what's normal, right? So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's often uh, difficult to put into context uh, until we kind of look back and, and compare. So 
I think a lot of that sort of time just felt like, well, this is the way it is. But, you know, if I looked at other, other friends and, and things that actually had, uh, you know, families that, that were, were more full or complete, um, uh, that, that was sort of a, a, a source of sadness, I guess, at that time. Mm-hmm. And there was a sense that, that, you know, struggling financially at that time meant that they, we, we lacked a lot of, uh, things that, uh, other, other friends or, or, or peers, uh, uh, seemed to have and that came quite easily. Uh, so that's sort of sense of, yeah missing out on a lot of things was was probably probably the feeling but but overriding that uh, I do feel like the 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 greatest sense that I I felt uh, around that those early years was a sense of loneliness just uh, being being very isolated spent a lot of time on uh, my own or on, on our own and uh, that's yeah it was uh, it was probably just a deep sense of of being very isolated and different and lonely and then you were so driven that you created a company that was listed on the australian stock market and you even went overseas and and um you know there was a a big part of you that really succeeded in the way that we perceive success to be and uh, how did that feel during that time did you feel like yes i've done it i've made Mm. it Mm. i've proven myself (laughs) yeah the I mean, with that and a lot of things that I'd before, definitely felt like I was checking a lot of boxes on on what you know others or on what society, as you, you mentioned, sort of typically considers success. So, um, unfortunately, none of the, the the box checking exercise seemed to ever have an end to it. It, it never yes, felt like like right. I've done it, I've made it. So even even with the the company. Uh, Getting it off the ground, listing it—all great, great milestones. Uh, actually, we drove it. I think on the the Business Review Weekly, a business magazine, listed it as the second fastest growing company in in Australia at one point. Uh, there, there, there was never any end because mm-hmm. um, there was always the next um, yeah. quarter of shareholder expectations or the the, the next. Uh, dollar of share price to, to kind of chase after. So it, it never felt like an, an end in itself. It just felt like, yeah, we're, you know, we're doing some good things and I'm building something here, but it never felt satisfying, if that's what you mean, that, that I'd actually got there or made it. Yeah, exactly. And that's what happens, isn't it? Mm. Is that we have this goal and we achieve the goal. We barely have time to enjoy the what we've achieved because Already we're thinking about the next one and then the next one and then the next one. And what are we running towards? What are we trying to achieve? What is it all about? And, you know, you've just articulated that's exactly what happened with you. It's definitely happened with me where Mm -hmm. it was always doing, 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 going, going, going. But where was I going? What was I doing? What did I want to achieve? And it just I just had this this banner of financial freedom. And what did that mean? Because whenever you achieve something, there was always something else and you still haven't achieved it. So, you know, this, exactly. this, yeah. this is this is what society, what, what we've learned to do is constantly do, constantly try and achieve, constantly try and prove ourselves. So then tell me what happened, what happened after that? How did this perfect storm come about? Right, well, 
I mean, part of the, the way I set up the company was uh, as an acquisition uh, vehicle uh, where we'd bring in, buy other companies and, and uh, bring them into the fold. Uh, that involved a continuous cycle of raising capital from banks and from the, the share market itself to, uh, to fund uh, future acquisitions. When the global financial crisis hit, it was a time where all the financing sources uh, and the finances kind of panicked for a bit there. Everybody kind of pulled the, pulled the rug on, on bank finance. The equity markets went very, very uh, deadly quiet there, so it was very difficult to raise capital there. So it actually put the business under quite a bit of strain because we'd made a number of commitments to, to continue mm-hmm. to, to fund uh, businesses. Uh, that then became very challenging. So that sort of led to a, a situation where the company itself got, um, well, there was some wrestle for control, if you like, uh, at the board level, and and that sort of resulted in the, the, the business being taken over. And uh, that really unsettled the markets and the, the share price from where we had it uh, crashed completely. And it uh, it really um, yeah became put put not only the company in jeopardy, but uh, created a lot of stress uh, on many many different areas. And for me, one of those big areas that, uh, that it resulted in me and the rest of the board uh, and the key management uh, uh, being uh, leaving the company. Uh, and so then, without a, uh, a sort of a, a role there for this child that I'd grown up, you know, and uh, was very attached to. Uh, it, it was a real identity crisis in terms of what to do. But more than that, it, it really, um, not only within the company where I sort of felt like I had so much at stake, not only personally, but more so the commitments I'd made to, to investors and to shareholders and to my 400 uh, employees of the company felt very, very, um, uh, I felt like I'd really, really let them down at that point and felt a lot of uh, uh, shame around the, the fact that this had kind of happened. Uh, and then, you know, you talk about the perfect storm. Yes, that sort of was the, I guess, the straw on the camel's back that kind of triggered a lot of other things happening in my life, like the the breakdown of my marriage and uh, and that led to, to, to you know, personal kind of separations there and and was a whole new source of of shame for me as I as I now felt like I'd failed not only in the business but and failed to my investors and shareholders and employees but also had failed to to my wife at the time and to my two children and uh, and on and on it went so. so do you feel Rob that what happened with your business actually led to the separation with your personal relationship as well with your wife I can't say that uh, it was the prime thing responsible. I'm, I'm sure things happened well before that, but you know, I can see that that my you know dogged pursuit of success in the business, mm-hmm. which at times had me working 100 to 120 hours a week when I was in that that company, uh, most certainly would not have have been conducive to to continuing to support and build those personal relationships. So I'm sure the, you know, sure things 
started to to be pro- well problematic way before that. But yes, just with the financial strain that it brought personally, with the the, the business changes, uh, it's uh, and the the you know difficulties that it, it came up around that. It was probably just the catalyst rather than the cause, if you like, mm-hmm. that, that that resulted yeah. in that. So it all happened at that time. Yeah. Yeah, your story is, I'm sure, such a familiar one for so many people. It definitely is for me. In my previous business where I worked those sort of hours and that was my priority. My priority was all about, you know, the next step, the next goal, the next milestone, the next achievement. And it's just so interesting that we do all that. We spend so much energy on this elusive goal that um, we don't even know when we're going to get to that elusive goal of whatever it is. And in the meantime, what we have in front of us and what's around us is, um, you know, that it's it's actually imploding because we're not there to support it. We're not there to hold it up. We're not there to give it the nurturing that it deserves. And that's not to say that this is, you know, that this was all your fault because there's, there's, there's no, that doesn't exist. There's all these circumstances that surround a relationship that are way too complicated for this conversation. But um, how did you feel when all this all this happened when your relationship broke down, when you when you lost your business, when you weren't able to deliver to your employees, or four hundred of them. How did you feel? What was that feeling? Well, it was uh, it was a terrible feeling. Uh, I, I felt, yeah, I, I felt like I'd for the first time experienced real failure in my life. The things that I set out to do with with my uh, parents uh, having separated, I'd sort of made a promised to myself that I would never, ever, ever get divorced or separate. I would never do that to my, to my children. Uh, so I had in my mind this sense of what my life was going to be and that I would put everything that I had into achieving that. So whether that was the, the financial independence that we talked about, uh, whether it's the business, through the business success, whether it was, uh, you know, a, a marriage that, that survived and lasted, I would invest in that. Uh, it all of a sudden just all fell apart and I failed in all of these areas in my life. And the, the one source that I sort of felt like, well, was a bit of a, uh, a support during that, or I thought would be a bit of support during that time, which is I was a member of a, a church at that time, that rug also kind of got pulled out from me as, as many of the people that I was closest to there, uh, some of my longest uh, and dearest friends at the time, basically told me they wouldn't accept the fact that I was contemplating separating and divorce and that that wasn't what a good, you know, Christian would do. And uh, it it ended up in me leaving the church at that time, which was uh, not only, you know, that the one area I thought would actually have some support wasn't there either. And a lot of friends, I lost a lot of friendships over that. So it, uh, it felt incredibly uh, difficult, like a, a massive, concrete block had just descended on my life and was just crushing the, the, the life out of me. Uh, I, I actually went into a, a period of a, a couple of years there where I was quite depressed and, and really didn't know, you know which way was up and where I was actually going to go from, from there, having been sort of crushed by this, this overwhelming sense of failure that I'd never, I'd never really experienced like that before. So how did you pull yourself out of there, Rob? Well, the, 
I guess there was a, a, a couple of things that sort of happened for, for me that helped to, to, to turn things around. Uh, I realized that, that my, the faith that I actually had and that was important to me wasn't actually about what other people uh, said it was or what the, the church per se, you know, uh, said, but, but that uh, it really was about a relationship with, with a God that was, that was there and cared. That was hugely important to then anchor on, but then the the really it was about the the opportunity that lent lent me. I realized came to realize was that uh, when I looked back and saw what I had been investing my life in and the values that I was aspiring to, all these ones that where others had said that this is what success looks like and this is what you need to be and and this is in my own mind this is what I need to do to be you know, worthy of other people's attention or affection or love or, or whatever it is, the, I realised that I, I now had an opportunity to, to reconsider those things. And so really uh, it was about reinventing my identity or really getting the, the chance, the opportunity to, to actually say, well, what values do I want to build my life on from here? And once I started to, to anchor in those things and start to, to attach to those, I actually realized that I had a fantastic opportunity to, to really uh, think about what was important to me. And that was really, I guess, my, the start of my journey with, with authenticity and, tr and trying to really understand what my true kind of values were and my true priorities. And reflecting on those things led to uh, me having the opportunity to rebuild my life on those things. So. I mean, that and a whole bunch of counselling and other things was, was certainly helpful, but, uh, but that was the essence of, of where it went. So was there a moment that, you know, you, you talk about the destruction and the isolation and the abandonment from the church mm. that you went, no, that's not what it's about, that, you know, my faith um, means more than that. Was there a defining moment where that happened? Was it in the middle of a prayer? Did something happen? How did this realisation and insight come to you? Mm. Well, yes, I mean, it's, I mean, I can actually think back to, to a moment of actually literally being curled up on, on the floor in just inconsolable kind of tears at some point during that, that period of time. Uh, I think I'd, I'd been there for over an hour, just, just, just wailing, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, I felt a, a sense at the end of that. It was probably driven by pure exhaustion that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, I could barely take another breath. But it was actually at that moment I sort of felt like there was this sense of of hope beyond that. And I don't know, you know, where that came from, what the source of it was, uh, if it was a God thing, or if it was just, as I said, a pure exhaustion thing. But I, I felt like I can. This is the lowest point I feel like I ever possibly could be in my life and I'm I'm not diminishing the fact that many many people have many you know more tragic circumstances in their life uh, but for me this was kind of like I could clearly see this was you know my my low point to that point in time and uh and that yeah it was just in that in that moment and in that sort of sense of just despair that I felt this kind of sense of, of hope and almost peace yeah. emerge on me that sort of said, okay, you can stay here, 
and just keep doing this for for however long it takes or you can actually look up and say okay well what would life look like if we were to build it from a zero point here and going forward so yeah there was actually a defining moment nobody's ever i've never said that to anyone before but uh uh uh, that's that was a a point in time that that actually did definitely feel like a pivot for me and from that point is where i started to to really think through those values and how to rebuild wow when you were saying that story i got full body shivers (laughs) which is always an indication to me that there was like a divine moment Mm. where there was this divine um you know guidance that you received and it's just it's so beautiful that you know we're not alone we aren't alone Mm. we think that Mm. we are but we're not and in that moment you receive that support from you know whatever you want to call it Mm. Um, whether it's source god the universe you received it and you acted on it and your whole life has changed since so tell us what has happened since well since i i guess that was that it was through that sort of period that that i or through through that sort of reinvention that i was really curious to find out a little bit more about you know what had been going on for me in this let's call it you know phase phase one of my life and now i was in phase two the and and that sort of led me to to actually enrolling in a master's of counseling degree and actually becoming a, a registered counselor uh, there was a four-year part-time program and I'm pretty sure the first two years of that was was n- driven nothing else other than me being curious about why I was so kind of messed up you know and and that uh, was a really great sort of point of revelation as I had the opportunity and the privilege to to just start to peel the onion not only on myself but on as we as humans how we kind of tick and what makes us work and and it was from uh, from really getting a, a really good grasp on that and a better understanding of that that then led me into the final two years of that degree which was really me focused thinking about well you know that has been so liberating and so revolutionary for me to be able to to actually come this journey and actually come out with a very, very different perspective on not only myself and others, uh, but on life and my purpose in life, uh, that I'd love to walk that journey with others and share that journey with others. So so I, I sort of pivoted from what I can look back on and see was a very self-oriented kind of pursuit of, of you know, this you know, fear of failure-driven pursuit of of needing to be acknowledged and and approved of and felt felt worthy by others to one where I could actually uh, help others on a walk and on a journey to to actually their own sort of level of authenticity where they can actually you know understand and pursue their own values and uh, in life and and that was really the sort of the pivot point for me that that became the focus of where I was where I was to go from there and, and it has continued to over these years yeah so you founded a a business called approval removal which is all about letting go of of the approval of others and um you're also writing a book so what's what's your book about well the book is actually the same title so uh, it's the the first of what what could be many books in that series but uh, starting with an overview of of yeah what what is what is this thing that's that we get get so caught up in that drives us to actually want to 
be accepted by others, you know, be, be actually driven by external validation. And, and why is it so ultimately unsatisfying? Why doesn't it actually work for more than, for more than a moment? You know, why are we continually caught in a kind of a loop of, of trying hard and trying hard to impress, to please, to get other people's approval, validation. Uh, but yet we still end up feeling very empty, unvalidated and, unfulfilled and unsatisfied dissatisfied in life so so the book is about is about that journey and how to actually uh, turn that around and and no longer be be dependent so dependent on that that external approval but to be able to uh, build a life that's that's driven from your own kind of sense of of being able to to validate yourself and choose your own values and be be pleased in in that as the new scorecard yeah and when is this book going to be published (laughs) that's a great question the it will the 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 book itself the manuscript will be finished this year so that will somewhat be dependent on publishers then but uh, that means most likely sometime next year in 2024 awesome awesome so tell me what are the quick answers to those questions those very big questions in that, you know, the first first one being is that, you know, why do we do this? Why do we do this game of external validation? Why do we do mm. this game of I didn't achieve that and therefore I feel ashamed because mm. I'm not meeting other people's expectations, my marriage has ended, my business has closed, I can't pay employees, I feel so embarrassed, I feel so ashamed, I, you know, I've failed. Why do we do this? Yeah. Well, a lot of it goes back to... to the, the way we're actually kind of wired as human beings, I believe, uh, there are certain core, I call them true needs that we that we actually have as, as humans, common needs, not necessarily the ones we think, you know, we, we have, but that sit underlying that. Uh, the need for, I mean, obviously the physiological ones are pretty obvious, right? We know we need food, we need energy, we need sleep, we need water, you know, they're, they're pretty easy to understand. But some of the others uh, can be a little bit more complex. Most people would acknowledge and agree we have a need for connection with others, a need for intimacy at, at various levels. Um, that's something that underpins who we are. The things like solitary confinement being one of the, 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 the most, you know, the worst psychological tortures we can face, that separation from other human beings is an indication that that need for connection is there. One of those is, another one of those is a, a need for I call it the esteem need. It's a need as human beings to to know that our existence to some extent matters, that our needs, other needs are, are valid, our feelings are valid, and that our that we're important to someone, that our existence is important and meaningful. And we go about trying to fulfill that need, whether we know that need exists or not, or, or the form of it. And so we, from a very, very early age, we, we do the things that satisfy or we feel like satisfy that need to some extent. And we teach our kids the same thing. I mean, now, how many times have we heard or done it ourselves as, as parents or heard it, heard it being done where parents will, will reward their children with things that they do, but they'll reward them and tell them what they are as a result, like, you know, your first steps oh, what a good girl, That's such a, you're such a good girl for doing those things, you know. 
Uh, you got an A. Wow, you, you're you're so smart. You're such a great great guy. You know, uh, it's uh, we 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 enforce that message that what we do is actually related to our value as a person, yeah. and so yeah. it's it's inherent in us. It's just built into us everywhere we go, and even society has those same messages for us. What we have, what we do, what other people think about us, is our value as a person. And until you actually break the nexus and, and actually reject that and say, my value as a person, as a human being, it's like me, Rob, or, or you, Eleni, my value is not actually those things. It's not about how much I've accumulated or what job title I have or what other people say about me. My value actually has a different source um, and a different definition. Until you actually break that nexus, you, you get caught in that sort of trap. So the way out of that is first to actually break that and make that decision and then to redefine what your uh, standard of value for yourself will be. You can then actually go about life determining whether, how well you lived your life by those values now and that separates you, that breaks that nexus from, from what others tell you your value is. And because this is so deeply programmed, this program that, you know, what we do is who we are, it's actually quite difficult. I had a spiritual awakening a couple of years ago, and that was one of the first learnings that I had, that my achievements are not me, that I am beyond that, and that me saying I've done this, 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 and the other thing is actually me trying to prove myself to someone else. But it's so difficult as a speaker when I go to a venue and I give them a bio, I don't want to give them that bio because <laughs> it's like it's, it doesn't matter. What I've achieved doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it really doesn't. I want to give them this other bio that basically just talks about, you know, who I am as a person rather than what I've done, you know, in the role that I've played. But it's difficult. It's difficult because our own ego comes in the way and, you know, it's a long process. It's not like you've decided this, you've had this revelation, then the next day that's it, you know. Yeah you operate from a different different place it's really difficult to do that it's it's it takes a long time to let go of the old suit the old the old outfit and to actually say this is who i am it's it not what i've done is not who i am hmm. it's this is who i am and um, especially culturally it also makes a difference too because my parents originate from cyprus and when i noticed that when i've gone to cyprus you never hear anybody saying any conversation, what do you do? Like they don't care. Like mm. what you do is so irrelevant. They want to know, um, you know, what you believe about a certain issue mm. or how you think. No one asks you, what do you do? They just do not care. And I found that so incredible that that's not part of their culture as to, you know, what job do you have? That's not important. Mm. And yet we place so much importance on it. And so... What I'd like to ask you, Rob, is, you know, you're saying that um, why is it that even with people that achieve everything that they say that they want to achieve and once they're there, it's just so unsatisfying. You're so not fulfilled with all the things you thought that you needed to have in your life and not satisfying. Why is that? Because at the end of the day, you haven't actually fulfilled the the entirety of your core true needs you've you've been you've done what you think is necessary to fulfill one of those 
So say the esteem need, for example, if I get enough people telling me how wonderful I am and how lovable I am and, and how awesome I am and how successful I am, then surely that will actually satisfy my need for esteem. But even that one alone, it's not enough because our internal beliefs, our, our negative core beliefs that actually don't really believe that we're worthy because perhaps we had that messaging in some other way growing up or elsewhere, we actually are not convinced by everybody's accolations. Uh, and if those accolations stop tomorrow, uh, we've got to keep going and doing the next thing and continuing to impress. So they don't satisfy because they're actually not, we don't believe them. But the other reason is we have many, many other needs that are not being fulfilled in our dogged pursuit of mm. chasing after that esteem need. Uh, like in my case, where I completely underinvested in, in the relationships that were closest to me with my, my then wife, my, my children, I pursued that esteem need at the expense of many of those others. And so that's why it can never lead to being fully satisfied uh, because it just takes way, way too much time if you're using the wrong tools and the wrong techniques and the, going after it in the wrong way, in a very, very inefficient way. You can't even fulfill that one need, let alone all the others then that you've taken the time away from. So And energy. Takes yeah, energy. Totally, totally energy. Because once yeah. you're depleted, like, you know, there is a finite level of energy that you do have. Mm. And so, you know, connections, relationships are everything. And yet we don't we don't put them as everything when they are. And so if I can ask you to do one thing that I ask all my guests to do mm. is would you just take a moment just to close your eyes? Sure. And I'd like you to just go back in time to that time when you were on the ground, you know, in a fetal position, when the world had crashed around you, when you'd lost your family, you'd lost, you know, your identity, everything you had worked so hard to achieve. Because I know that there are people out there right now who are in that space right now. So I'd like you to, to talk to that younger you as if he's right here as if he's in the studio with us and what can you tell him well would you like me to keep my eyes closed on that one or? yeah i'd like to so that you could so you can use your subconscious mind rather uh, than your conscious mind. <laughs> sure. i would say i would say to that to that rob there on the floor that uh there, you know, there is, there is absolutely, not only is the grass greener on the other side of that, that experience, but that it's the only place that you will ever feel happy, comfortable, fulfilled. It uh, doesn't mean that life will always be easy from that point or that bad things won't happen, but that there is such a hope that comes from rejecting the 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 messages that that you've you've had uh, in the past about needing to convince others how worthy you are or lovable you are uh, that it is just such a dramatic 
contrast that pursue that journey, get on that path, keep walking towards that, uh, grasp the opportunity to live authentically for you and you will not only look back on that moment that you're in now and the previous moments before that that seemed so hard and difficult, uh, you'll not only look on them as uh, a necessary part of, uh, of learning this, uh, of where you are now, but <clears throat> you will actually be thankful for them and joyous for them because it was only through those difficulties, those challenges and actually seeing the way you were doing it that actually gave you the the impetus and the momentum and the opportunity to actually see the contrast for how life is uh, if you move beyond those. So stay with it, uh, get on that that uh, path, make it a life journey to live more authentically and you'll find gratitude in every moment that's happened even up to that point. Beautiful, beautiful. And what about the actual shame that mm. he's feeling? What can you tell him about that? So, the for me recognizing that the, the the shame that I felt around not only all those moments but even even in in ones before that was really a a construct that I that I allowed to come into my life by clinging so tightly to value what what other people thought of me and it's. I know our life is not meant to be lived in shame and guilt. Uh, that's not what we were created for and that's certainly not how we're going to in, you know, extract and enjoy the most fulfilment out of life. So by recognising that, that if I actually have a set of values that I choose to live by and I can do my best, don't always make it, don't always, not every day, I can score myself 100% on those, but if I can keep, pursuing that and, and doing my best to, to live by those things, then there is no shame for me left if somebody else feels like I've wasted my day or I'm spending my life in a way that, that they don't value. That's fine. That's okay. They're, it's okay for them to have a different set of values than me. Uh, but for me, uh, I actually am happy and satisfied with how I've actually chosen to invest my time and my energy and my, my day and uh, and I'm satisfied in that. So that, to me, that's recognised. There is no place for shame in that because there's no. Uh, I'm not opening up any avenue or invitation for others to judge. Uh, that's how I actually uh, spend my time and live my life. Yeah. So do you have one final thing to say for those people who are, at this point in time, holding on to the energy of shame? Mm. It's. I, I would, you know, I, I would encourage, um, definitely encourage people that are, are stuck in that that place as I once was very, very much, to to recognise that it's start by accepting, I guess, where you are. It's it only compounds the shame if we actually were to self judge on top of all the judgment we feel from others. Uh, to recognise that your journey, whatever that's been to date, wherever that's brought you so far, has brought you to right to this place where you're actually now even listening to this, this, this messages that you're putting together so, so well, Eleni, is you've, you've come here, you're obviously 
curious enough to say, this isn't necessarily working for me. Uh, I'd like to actually live life another way. Encourage you to keep going down that path, but start that journey with recognizing that there's nothing that you've you've done that's to to, to blame. There's nothing that uh, you've done your best up to this point. Uh, don't uh, add to the compounding judgment of that by actually uh, uh, judging yourself for where you are. Recognize that there's any starting point that you can work forward and go forward to actually embrace your own authenticity, and that is a new day, a new journey, a new path that will allow you to actually take a step a day at a time beyond those feelings of shame uh, to a life no longer confined and defined by what other people say about you. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much, Rob. Your journey is inspirational and I know that many people will resonate with what you've been through and what you're now doing, which is really helping people um, let go of all the things that you've managed to let go of, which is that self-judgment, which is that external validation that they need and to really go within to see what really matters in life. And so thank you, Rob, for shining your light. I'm going to put all the details of how to connect with you down below so that when your book is published, and, you know, who knows, by the time somebody watches this episode in the future, they, it could already be published. So just look at the show notes below to, to connect in with Rob. So thank you very much for your time today. You're it's very been... welcome. I really enjoyed the, uh, the chat. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to The Shame Game. We hope you loved it. And if you did, please subscribe to the podcast. And we would so love it if you also share it with your friends. Until next time, remember, you are not alone in this journey. We're all in this together and we are all worthy of love and belonging. And also remember this, you are not your shame.